With over 16 million acres of land, equating to be the size of West Virginia, the Navajo Nation is the largest native reservation in the United States. Despite this, it is a food and healthcare desert with only 13 grocery stores and seven hospitals, making it extremely difficult for community members to prioritize health. This is not unique to the Navajo Nation, as many other Native tribes are also facing high levels of obesity, increased school dropout rates, and alcohol and drug use among their teens, with little to no resources accessible to them. But now we're on the ground working in these communities and seeing positive changes in the health of our teens. How are we helping them? Today we're discussing how we at Health Corps are part of the community and working with students one-on-one, speaking with them in their own language and building trust. By fostering these relationships as well as our students' knowledge about health and wellness and giving them the opportunity to be leaders in their community, we offer them a future in which they overcome the statistics and challenges they face. Allow me to introduce myself in Navajo. Hello, my name is Tanisha Watson. There I had introduced myself with my clans, and my clans are I am one who walks around. I am born for the Towering House people. My maternal clan is also Towering House people, and my paternal clan is Red Running Into the Water people. I am Navajo, coming from the Navajo Reservation, a small town called Chinle. I am the regional program manager for Arizona, overseeing our programming here. Hi, I'm Elaine Carroll. I'm biracial, being Black and Native American, representing the Pascoyaki tribe. I was born and raised on the Pascoyaki Reservation in Tucson, Arizona. I've been working with students as the program coordinator in Tucson, Arizona for about two years now. We'd like to thank Blue Cross Blue Shield of Arizona Foundation for Community and Health Advancements for sponsoring our work in Arizona. A lot of my passion comes, you know, working with underserved communities, mostly because I've had this experience myself growing up in a high poverty community um, within the Navajo Nation. And I wanted to somehow make a difference by giving back and serving not only my communities, but other communities like them. Being Native American, we tend to see our people in the community as family. Everybody is part of family. And I want to help my family. When I was in college, I learned a little bit more about the different Native communities here around my my university where I had went to school. And I recognized that as well in these Native communities, um, they weren't too different from the one that I grew up. For instance, there was a lack of leadership opportunities available to students. And again, I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to share resources and give back to my community in that way. And I'd like to share some of the work from one of our clubs that we've been able to work with this past year, um, being the Salt River Boys and Girls Club. It was a privilege to work with those students in that community and learn about a little bit about their community and their traditions and their cultures. They wanted to work on, to my surprise, work on, work on focusing on sidewalk accessibility and how that affects the participation of physical activity in the community for a project where they were able to present this information back to their tribal council leaders. And with that, they were able to realize that they are being listened to and that they have a voice within their community and that they can have an impact in their community as well. So, you know, why were they listened to is because they looked at the community as a whole. They researched information to share what the community needed and what, you know, what would benefit their community. And these are teens we're talking about. You know, you you wouldn't think that they would have 
these kind of conversations amongst themselves. And so it was really always blown away with the fact that, you know, they they considered a whole, their whole community. This is the kind of work that just continues to drive me um, in the work that we do. I want to be able to provide these kind of resources to these students and, you know, just share my knowledge along the way as well. Within the Native youth population, there are growing numbers in childhood obesity and diabetes. And, you know, it's kind of frightening to hear that kind of statistic when you're younger. So I remember when I was in high school hearing that a lot. I remember thinking to myself, how can I be a part of that change? And, you know, how can I be a part of um, making a difference with that statistic? How about you, Elaine? Why did you choose to teach in your community instead of somewhere else? I chose to come back because participating in that community service when I was younger really made me feel the importance of having strong connection to community. For example, when I was younger, I participated in the royalty. So I was junior Miss Boskoyaki of 2010 to 2011. Um, I did community cleanups as well, and I participated in my cultural ceremonies. So as I grew older, I really wanted to be a resource, especially for health and wellness information, because that wasn't really something talked about amongst my community. Um, When I went off to college, I actually didn't really know how to make a meal for myself because I was so dependent on fast food living at home. So it really brought some issues to my own health and wellness. So really wanted to transition there. (laughs) Coming back also... There are not many role models or mentors like you mentioned when you are a teen or a kid. So you just wanted to be that one for others because this is a unique opportunity to be a mentor to your own community or other communities just like your own. So coming back, I do speak a little bit more of their accent or their language, just knowing more cultural references that they speak from in situationships um, or also like just messing around and how they say the word, oh, it's referred so many different ways in Native communities that um, when you say it, it just feels like you're more connected right away. You referred to, you know, some of the the words that Native Americans share. A lot of the common ones I hear are like e or nay. When you hear somebody out in public saying that, you, you automatically know, you know, they're Native. And that kind of brings that connection with them. And that's kind of cool to hear. I feel like a big factor is just understanding those cultural mannerisms. Uh, and one example being body language, one is specific like eye contact. And so I grew up understanding that no eye contact while you were speaking to somebody was an act of respect. And this comes from the teaching of our elders and, you know, seeing your elders uh, do that with the people that they interact with, you know, it's something. And then you learn later on that that's what that means. And, you know, working in another community after I had completed my undergrad, um, I was working with Gila River Indian community. It was common to hear non-Native community educators thinking that this lack of eye contact meant that students weren't engaging or, you know, that they didn't care about what was being taught in class when, in fact, it was just really a sign of respect that we grew up learning. And, you know, that those are the kind of things that you can, you have to understand being a non-community uh, member. And because, again, like I said, this comes from the teachings of our grandparents, um, it's common to have a lot of these, our grandparents with the Native communities have full guardianship of these students. So, again, the children are learning this, this behavior from them. Um, and... You know, it's kind of sad to hear when you hear that these teachers from uh, within the Native communities having to discipline their students because they feel like they're not engaging with the students or 
that the students are doing it on purpose when really, again, it just goes back to them having that, you know, showing their respect to their their teachers and their elders. It's just what we grew up knowing. So that's how I've been able to incorporate a little bit of sharing my understanding with the different Native communities that I've worked with in the past. So in our communities, often others think that when someone leaves home, they will never return. When I had left, when I was getting ready to leave from high school, I was common to hear that, um, you know, it was kind of in a negative way, seeing that, oh, you're going to leave for school, you're not going to come back, or we're not going to see you again. But for me, I felt like I had to devote a lot of my education to prepare me to go back home. I saw a college as an opportunity for me to go off and learn about, you know, the different things that I don't have the resources to back at home and take that knowledge and bring it back to share with my people. You can always come back and make a difference, small or little. It just sets up these new types of mentoring. So when you come back, you can share that knowledge with the youth that maybe are interested in exploring the world or seeing a specific part of it. So this all goes to say that our rich traditions and culture play such a big role in our development. And a lot of this I I would like to bring up is, you know, our family dynamics in Native American communities. Um, It's common in Native communities that you have multiple family homes, multiple people living in one family home under one roof. And you have your extended family living close uh, or very near to you. This was my experience growing up. We did a lot of things. We were very family oriented. We had shared a lot of time together. We had prepared our food together. Uh, We just grew up very close and we did many things together as a family. So uh, when I introduced myself earlier, I had introduced myself in Navajo. That was to address our clanship, the the clanship. Um, Diné is another word for Navajo. And so our clans, it's how we identify as family. And it's what connects us because we talk about family. I don't think many people understand what we mean by family. It's common to hear in Native American communities that family is everybody in the community. You see every person in the community as a family member. You call them brother. You call them sister. It was very rare that you would hear the term cousin because our cousins were our sister. They were our brother. Um, so we didn't refer to them as cousins. I think the family dynamic plays a just as important role with the food dynamic. That dynamic plays into food because every time we do gather with family, there's food associated with it. So traditional foods during the time of our cultural ceremonies, but also just when we all want to gather, like on a weekday, there's foods there. Specifically, we like chili con carne, a little beans and rice, but also there's a lot of soups like wakabaki, which mm-hmm. is very popu- popular. Um, it has a lot of vegetables associated with it. And then also before like funeral gatherings as well, they also gather to make tortillas together. So it's really a time when you're together a lot, um, but also making their traditional foods that will be used in one part of the ceremony or throughout the ceremony as well. But another factor is that Food just feels like it gives you the strength in general to be there and to feel more connectedness because it's more like a potluck style. Not one person is dedicated to bringing all the food. Everybody brings their own. So it brings a little bit more diversity into that family as well. 
Yeah, totally understand. You know, many times food is what brings us together as family. And it, I can relate to that in a lot of ways. A lot of um, Navajo families can relate to that in a lot of ways. And we celebrate the different unique foods. Uh, you know, again, like how you had mentioned, depending on um, what is being celebrated, we have certain foods that we would use. You mentioned a lot of stews or soups common for us too, uh, especially using vegetables like the what you may hear as um, common as the three sisters, which are, you know, beans, squash and corn. The three sisters, if you care a little bit more about that, they are three vegetables that thrive when they're grown together. They feed off of each other. So they're like the superfoods um, that you can grow together and they just help to nourish each other in different ways. So it's very common to have those kind of vegetables utilized in different ways. Um, in Navajo culture, a lot of our you know events that we celebrate, um, we have common foods like the fry bread, um, blue corn mush is a very popular one. I want to go into you know traditional ceremonies uh, to share within this dynamic as well, and how that influences a lot of our our way of learning and teaching as well. The traditional ceremonies uh, we take part in are a way that we pray and we offer our prayers for not only ourselves but our families as well. Um, and we continue these ceremonies as our way to continue these teachings from our fam or from our elders that we've learned over the years. And seeing this as resilience of our people. I'm sure that it's very common to share that as well with other Native American communities, that one of the big reasons why we continue our traditional ceremonies to go back and recognize that we were able to overcome a lot of diverse um, situations and many challenges to be able to carry on these teachings to our future leaders as well. I think resilience of our people and surviving and keeping traditions and culture alive today is super important, especially mm -hmm. when you talk about your own culture, since there are so many different Native communities across the nation. Um, my specific one, we usually participate on our ceremonies during the lentil season. So around February to about April. So we're already in that time. You start to feel those prayers and the offerings a little bit more, especially being back home during this time, you just feel more present in your daily life. And when you do talk about these ceremonies, there's so much details about them that we probably couldn't get through at all on this podcast right now. But everybody does play a role in that, especially being a past participant myself. It has given me a greater resilience for myself, but also for my community and that we're still here. We still practice these traditions and that there's a lot of feelings and emotions that come tied to it. So you just always want to be stronger for your people, essentially, yeah. when it comes to your traditions. Another aspect of being in a tribe and giving back, uh, we learn it in different ways, uh, especially for me, my mom was a really good impact and strength for myself um, since she did work for the tribe for about 38 years, rotating between the health department, um, which exposed her and me to various health jobs. Um, but towards her end of her year, she actually ended up in the WIC program. So WIC is women, infants, and children. And there she talks specifically about nutrition, which really was the first time I was interested in her job and wanted to actually hear about her day at work. Um, so that was one aspect of really feeling that sense of community, but also influencing me in 
the impact of what health can have on you as a person. Yeah. Cool. Wow. 38 years. That's a lot. (laughs) For me, this takes me back to a time when I was, you know, a health educator. It was my first job after college. I had a class of fourth or fifth graders. um, And I remember this very, very shy girl. She had came up to me after one of our sessions and said that, you know, I wanted to be a doctor like you. And that just blew me away for her to have the courage to come up to me and to say that, but only to hear, you know, her comparing me to a doctor when I was just really a health educator. You know, that was confirmation for me that I am where I needed to be career wise and that, you know, this is something that I want to continue doing for communities like mine. And, you know, it just makes me happy that I can be one to inspire the little ones, um, just like the elders did for me when I was younger, too. And another reason that has put me on this path is because I believe it has to go back like you, um, Elaine, how you mentioned your mom, um, witnessing what your mom has done community health wise. And my mom, she's currently serving over 25 years as a fourth grade teacher. And just growing up, I was constantly around her. Um, and she always shared like the, the, the greatest things of her students. It was, it was a joy to hear about, you know, what they were doing, the things that they were learning. She incorporated a lot of cultural and tradition, um, education, uh, so that the students were able to comprehend, um, and relate some of the things that she was teaching them in that way. So a lot of that has inspired me to work with students as well and just see how these positive relationships can have an impact in in their futures as you know as my mom had did with her students too now my mom she's one of the teachers at the school district is who's known for getting a lot of the students who are struggling with behavior she's been able to show that she can get through to the students and break through to them and, you know, just show them abundance of love and care. Maybe that's something that they were lacking back at home. And, but being able to show that and use that as a way to get through to her students, it it was just, you know, inspiring for me to see and witness that as her being a teacher. And I think being an educator for that long, especially, um, is a round of applause to your mom, especially during the time of COVID. So she's still doing amazing work. (laughs) Elaine, how are you teaching students to give back? How I'm giving back to my students is helping them really feel a sense of belonging that they can express themselves just as your mother does by really giving a skill that they may be lacking and just being able to express themselves and how they're doing on a daily basis. Because sometimes you're not able to show that, which is understandable. But most of the time I get a lot of shrugs or just like stares, but getting them more comfortable with speaking about their emotions is important not only now, but in the long run and being able to talk about their feelings with each other, with others in platonic romantic relationships, but also finding ways to make it fun and engaging. So one way I have been doing that was we started a cooking class because when you are doing these recipes and focusing on these relationships, not only with food, but with each other, you just feel that more sense of community, that family dynamic, you start to build in a different family outside your own. So it really gives them that hands-on knowledge of how to make food, but giving them themselves an opportunity to thrive and to try something new. So 
sometimes when we do these cooking classes, it doesn't always go as planned. So it really gives them the fun space, the safe space, especially to mess up, to just have fun. And they start to make new friends as well. They start to open up a little bit more. They start to find that, oh, this person may look shy, but they actually like to talk a lot. So then they start to expand their knowledge there. Um, with friendships and just being a mentor to each other as well. Cause a lot of those kids actually know how to cook. They just don't, aren't given the opportunity maybe at home because of the lack of resources. But when they do have them, they thrive. But Tanisha, how are you giving back to your community? So I, I like to share one of the, you know, the efforts of one of our clubs, um, the Salt River Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we had a Teens Make Health Happen Club with them this past year, as I mentioned before. In the month of October, where a lot of our focus is on physical activity, they saw the importance of what an impact their project, health project, did about, you know, physical activity and, and, and how sidewalk accessibility affects that within their community. When we came to October this past year for their health promoting event for that month, they wanted to do a staff and student uh, obstacle course challenge. The idea of this event, they had planned to present to the younger kids there at the Boys and Girls Club about the importance of physical activity and the benefits of it. Um, and why we should engage in it on a regularly basis. They took this event and they recognized that they were able to make a difference just within the 40 students that they had presented to. Um, and it made them feel good. And for them to recognize that was awesome to, to know that, you know, they were making an impact on the little kids. So from there, what they wanted to do was to incorporate this on a regularly basis. So they went ahead and they planned to do another um, physical activity event. Um, and we were able to do another one in December uh, and, and, you know, it was a great event. Um, again, the students were able to present to the little ones um, and how we can continue to provide these opportunities to them, uh, but also looking at our community and seeing what are the resources there that they could use to increase their physical activity and recognizing that they have an impact in their community in some ways. It brought them a sense of just belonging and wanting to continue to do that kind of work throughout their community. And that's something that brings happiness to me because, you know, I've been able to help with that and support them with that. And that could be something that could they could be doing on a regularly basis from on here on forth. So that's one way that that's one thing that I want to share, uh, just the way that I was able to give back to the communities that we serve. Elaine. Since this is Health Relationship Month, what are you working on with your students this month? This month, because of the healthy relationships, we're actually working on maintaining healthy relationships with others. So there's actually a Healthy Me lesson that we're focusing on, especially in the Teens Make Health Happen Club, um, of what a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship look like, but also getting examples from the students and helping them build a perspective um, that's helpful for them personally, since everybody does have a different spectrum when it comes to relationships. So I always like to get their examples of each of them, what they think a healthy relationship is like, what they think an unhealthy and build off of that and give them more examples so that they're better able to connect and take in the information rather than leaving it surface level and them still guessing what does that technically mean. <laughs> but also another lesson is the brand of me. So it's really talking about overcoming challenges. So this one, there's a guessing game included into it. 
but you use more examples based on people that they may know relatively based on pop culture or historical figures that they may be more familiar with based on their background. So that they're better able to connect and see, oh, this person overcame a challenge when it was brought to them and now look at them thriving. It doesn't have to be to the level of a movie star, but essentially it can be someone that was maybe having a hard time when they were younger and then now that they're thriving as they got older. A lot of our focus is going to be preparing for the National Tease Make Health Happen Showcase. And this month, to kick us off, we are looking to you know build that relationship and build that rapport with our club students. We're in the initial stages of that, preparing to get us started on what they want to focus on, proposing as their project health that they want to see working on together as a project that they can combat a community challenge, health challenge. So that was awesome to hear how you were going to share healthy relationships with your club there in Tucson. Coming from Native backgrounds, we are building relationships with our students through our cultural experiences, and we are excited to have Health Corps work with more Native communities to create more opportunities for our students and their families. Elaine and I, as the boots on the ground, look forward to this continued effort of impacting our communities and many others like ours through action and education. Our students are engaged, becoming leaders, and creating their own healthy relationships with each other, their families, and their tribal communities. Watch for more stories of our success throughout the month on our social media. Learn more about our lessons on service through our website at www.healthcore.org. To close today's podcast, here's our health tips for parents that can engage your team. My tip is just ask how they're doing every time you see them. And one day they'll open up to you without hesitation because they know you truly care. My tip is that just ask them about their interests and support them and being open to learning along with them. 